welcome to episode three of our podcast conundrum today we're going to be talking about black culture in k-pop i'm mira and i'm reyna all right so we're going to be talking about something that i've been thinking about for a while and i know that reyna has also been thinking about for a while mm-hmm. because um we both know people that are really big fans of k-pop uh and we see it a lot so and we also notice you know a lot of cultural appropriation in k-pop and a lot of the lack of consequences around that so today we're going to be talking about the role of black culture in k-pop so we're gonna start off with what black culture is because when we try to talk about black culture in k-pop we really need to try to understand what we're talking about yeah so black culture is the definition of it really varies a lot depending on who you talk to because the black community is so diverse uh, everywhere around the world to some people it's joy or life or community or resilience it really just depends on who you're talking to and so you know h-e-r the singer she says it's a flavor and energy mimicked adopted adapted adored and adornment people think they can just hang around their necks like costume jewelry she compares it to a precious metal. It's heavy and it's gorgeous. She says that black culture begins where life does in Africa. Jason Reynolds says something similar to that. He says, given that we know that it's rooted in Africa, perhaps black culture is the oxygen of the world. And a lot of what we need to understand when we're talking about black culture is the crux of the issue is you know, concerning appropriation and whether or not when you're... Uh, doing things involving black culture um whether you're where's the love whether there is love of the black people or the black culture quote uh when you have huge celebrities appropriating black culture like it's nothing of course it'll be justified and defended people have always provided others who have a platform with excuses for their unacceptable behavior social media will accept a white girl with cornrows over a black girl with the same exact cornrows because they favor black culture but not black people it is extremely important for people to know about this because the favoritism towards white people and non-black minorities against black culture can be extremely dangerous to the black community because the racism that is racism that is dealt with is ignored so basically what you're saying is they're like packaging like everything that comes with being a black person but they don't want to talk about the experience that a black person like has with like discrimination and racism yeah for sure it's uh we can see a lot in society uh people separating uh you know things that are typically associated as black versus actually black people and their fully lived experiences and i think a lot of I think that is kind of the backbone of appropriation in K-pop. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about appropriation in K-pop, it comes in like many shapes, forms, and sizes. So hairstyles such as locks, cornrows, braids, etc., accessories, food. So any kind of food that is generally assumed to be part of like black culture or African culture right music so r&b reggaeton rap like the punk culture hip-hop and a huge one is aave and what aave is is like this form of talking 
that has been associated with being a black person to be yeah to be you know stereotypically black so aav stands for african-american vernacular english and what it originates from is enslaved africans when they were brought to the united states and when they were brought to south america and the americas in general how they developed and how they changed from their native languages to english so they spoke differently and they pronounced words you know differently such as like the word ain't yeah different words that you see in the media such as tiktok because tiktok has like created its own kind of vernacular right yeah so different words that have been like associated with black people over time and another thing is physical features Mm -hmm. curves full lips um curly like textured hair etc yeah i think in k-pop what you can see the most is definitely in music mainly in hairstyles as well mm-hmm. as aave you can see it in features as well but it's not as popular because um in korea south korea korean beauty standards are prioritized over western ones yeah so when we start talking about when uh appropriation and black culture started appearing in k-pop we can we can look back to the 90s uh, in the 90s, a modern era of K-pop began to emerge, and it was jump-started by the male music groups who were influenced by Western culture. Quickly, in accordance with the growing popularity of black hip-hop, R&B, and rap artists on a global scale, K-pop began to extract major elements of African-American culture. However, South Korean musicians did this recklessly, seeing hip-hop as more of an aesthetic and less of a method of healing and storytelling told by black artists. And I feel like viewing black culture and things like that as an aesthetic is really representative of what a lot of groups and uh, soloists and idols do today Mm -hmm. and i feel like the very beginning of it was we can go back like to the very beginning of k-pop actually and it's kind of funny like that the entire like genre of k-pop starts off with black culture as well and we can go back and we can see the very first k-pop group seo taiji and the boys i'm pretty sure that's how it's pronounced and there were this like hip-hop r&b kind of group and they took a lot of inspo from like western culture in the 90s and that's really important because in the 90s western culture it was heavily based on black culture because that was when different groups started realizing that they could go against this oppression and that form of rebellion like took root in this this music and so they took all of that and they put it into their own music as well which kind of spiraled down into what we see today um personally i feel like in the 90s a lot of the reason that black culture appeared in k-pop is because companies began to push k-pop for uh to be more appealing to western audiences Mm -hmm. and to appeal to americans they used elements of black culture such as hip-hop rap as well as clothing styles ways of talking and hairstyles i feel like when it comes to like the western influence i feel like the media that um asia like had when it came from america was everything that hollywood had and 
when people wanted to be cool, black artists, black musicians were the, were the sign of rebellion back then. And if the Asian media wanted to portray that, they only had one group to look at. Yeah. Uh, so when we talk about what this means, we can see that in a lot of examples, in, in a lot of groups, we can see that black culture and individuals it's reduced, a lot of the time it's reduced to a concept or a comeback idea, which really flattens the three-dimensionality of uh, black culture and the traditions and communities behind it. Reducing it to a comeback or, you know, a concept really disrespects that. And I feel like because South Korea is, you know, definitely so far removed, they probably don't have as much experience with racism itself but they do have a lot of experience with colorism and i think that can kind of be seen in this and so if we talk about the nuances behind rebel culture it's mostly in response to racism segregation and discrimination is just disregarded so you know a lot of comebacks that are that include black culture they're often like rebel comebacks or going against some authority and when we're talking about how companies really push this image of, you know, rebel culture and they attribute, uh, not that they use parts of black culture and what they view as rebellious to uh, push their artists into a Western sphere. You can really see the a lot of the racism that they deal with. And it's just, to put it simply, it's just a repackaging of the culture. It's a repackaging of these people, uh, these you know, people that have had such a rich uh, history and fully lived experiences and it's just being repackaged into, like, a new album and a comeback. Yeah. Or a choreography. <laughs> yeah. There's different kinds of repackaging. So, like, you can repackage a culture and I feel like it's easier for them to handle a light-skinned person taking in this black culture rather than it is to see a black person embracing their own culture. I'm not black, but I have seen people around me view black people that have embraced their culture as dirty or not clean or like not proper. But then when white people do it, it's suddenly acceptable. And I feel like that has a huge part in what is happening with the K-pop industry. Yeah. I think we can also uh, talk about how K-pop has become more acceptable for the West, largely because um, they prioritize um, and encourage lighter skin, mm -hmm. and that's more appealing to Western audiences. And I feel like that's just content for a completely different episode, but you can really be seen how quickly people in America and people in the West have adopted K-pop because even though it's a completely different race and it's a completely different language and even a different genres at times, but the way that they also have a lot of racism in their society and the way they also prioritize being as light as possible makes them similar to America. And I think in that sense, that can be attributed or that is what can be attributed to why it's been accepted in America so much. Mm -hmm. And that's that's really ironic to me because they take in all of this black culture and they take in like 
they take in locks, they take in AAVE, and they take in fashion choices that rappers, like, consume, and then they try to pass off as their own, but they don't view the entire black identity as proper, as something that their idols can be, and you can see this whenever a new K-pop group pops up, and one of their members has, like, curly hair, or has a different eye shape, Mm -hmm. or, like, Yeah. yeah, and it's, I remember, like, watching all this stuff being like does that really matter yeah now when we're talking about the difference between cultural appreciation and appropriation there is a really big difference and i feel like in k-pop most most of the time it's appropriation Mm -hmm. that uh comes into play we were looking for examples we were researching for this episode and we were looking for examples of cultural appreciation and it was really really difficult yeah. to find them because it's just doesn't it doesn't really happen it just doesn't exist we tried so hard we tried giving them the benefit of the doubt we like searched up like k-pop idols cultural ap- appreciation and all that popped up was k-pop idols and like locks but it was i think we can differentiate appreciation and appropriation by you know appropriation is done with a lack of sensitivity mm-hmm And I think appreciation involves immersing yourself or exposing yourself to the culture that you want to learn more about in a really genuine and authentic way. And I think paying respect to that and uh, learning from people of that culture Mm -hmm. really makes a difference. Because remember, it's always, it's intent. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time, the intent is not where it needs to be. The intent is just make more money Mm -hmm. and i feel like people get like really confused between the two but like you said intent is a major factor in trying to see which one it is because appropriation almost every single time it's meant to mock the culture you know it's meant to take in the culture and then not respect where it came from and then try to repackage it into like a different that's more acceptable for people with lighter skin But appreciation takes in the identity that comes with it and then respects it. An example would be a person wearing a sexualized kimono. That's appropriation because it's not, yeah, yeah, it's not respecting where it comes from. But appreciation is a person wearing a kimono the traditional way and seeing how it's professionally worn and trying to understand where it comes from. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about some examples of appropriation (laughs) in K-pop. And I feel like almost every group or every idol has something, which is honestly ridiculous. But we're going to be talking about mainly Show Me the Money, Zico, J-Park, G-Dragon, and Jesse. So obviously when people appropriate black culture, rap as a genre is going to be the first thing that like comes up right Mm -hmm. and show me the money is a reality competition like show where they they take in all these famous all these underappreciated rappers right and they they it's, it's just a competition where they like see which one is the best and whoever wins gets deals with companies and other stuff right but A huge problem with the show is the fact that they use so much black culture 
everything, every single thing that we've named in this episode, they've used. The artists will use slang in their raps that you can, it, it like irks you a little bit where it's like, I don't think an Asian person should be saying these things. So for example, a lot of the time there's people uh, in showing the money will use, will wear locks or they'll wear um, traditionally protective hairstyles for textured hair. Or they will use A-A-V-E, or... It, the, the list just goes on and yeah. on. You can really see how they've built this character. Every single mm-hmm. rapper tries to be this rebellious character. And you can see how it has its roots in a stereotypical caricature of a black person. A, yeah, a racist archetype. So now we're going to talk about Zico. Oh, gosh. He is problematic for reasons beyond black culture. But um, he wore a jacket with the Confederate flag, which is like, that's not even appropriating black culture. That's just racist. Yeah, it is just racist. You can't wear it. That's just racist. Like, you can't wear a Confederate flag and be like, oopsies. You know? Like, I know. And it's like. He's not even American. He's South Korean. I don't even know how that works. Yeah, like you think he just walked into like a store one day and was like, "Ooh, those th- that's that jacket is really pretty," and just didn't think anything that's, of that's it. That's such a stylish jacket. That's just. <laughs> I don't understand how people just like they're like, "Oops, oopsies." I, how do you how do you even do that? Yeah, it's like, "Oopsies, I'm so sorry." <laughs> okay, and then <laughs> the next person we're gonna talk about is Jay Park. Jay Park. Jay Park has a lot of stuff. He has so much history. Not only racism, but also he has a lot of other stuff. Yeah. So like homophobia and I think sexual assault yeah. and yeah. <laughs> but he um what well, he the main thing that we're gonna talk about is he uh he did a cover of DNA by Kendrick Lamar mm-hmm. and all of his backup dancers had like characteristically black hairstyles so like locks braids uh cornrows durag yeah the entire video you're just sitting there like what what was this pr team doing like they looked at this entire setup was like this is good people will love this the thing is like in and of itself it's not it's not like he's the first person that's done it yeah it's the fact that he literally sees nothing wrong in it so, when he got backlash for the whole uh, DNA thing, he was just like, I don't care. Yeah. Wasn't he, he said something, he was like, I do this to appreciate black people or something. Literally, no one, no black person was like, yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah, I think. Nobody. It's, it's so funny because he literally went, well, if if black people can do it, I don't see why I can't. It's like absolute crickets, bro. Like everybody was like, "What are you on? Like, what are you even saying? <laughs> You're a grown man." It's like, oh, gosh. And then and then um we have G Dragon. Oh god, he was in two p.m. wasn't he? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure he did blackface. Yeah. He he did blackface. He did blackface. He used AAVE. Just not a good situation all around. 
And then we have Jesse. I think Jesse's an interesting case because she's American. Mm-hmm. And uh, she uses AAVE and she blackfishes, which is, I find interesting because I think she's talked about her plastic surgery, hasn't she? Yeah. She's, I don't, I'm not sure if she, like, defended herself or not. Yeah, I don't know about that, but I think it's pretty clear that a lot of the features that she has gotten surgery to get, such as, you know, the body type the lips, the nose, mm-hmm. the color of her skin, all of that can be very clearly not South Korean. Yeah, it's not uh, features. Yeah, not to say that South Koreans can't have those features. But yeah, when, not, yeah. But when, like, a person goes out of their way to get those features, it's a little problematic. It's You can kind of see how there's a bigger issue with it. A lot of the responses to these examples were, you know, they reasoned with the fact that they didn't know or they weren't aware of the implications. And then they, um, people asked for apologies, but then, you know, continued to consume their media anyways afterwards. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the entire thing with like asking idols for apologies, it doesn't work. Which is really interesting. It kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, which is like, it's really, really interesting. Because in America, you can say, oh, so-and-so is cancelled, right? And like, everybody will be like, oh, yeah, we don't like them anymore. But when it comes to the K-pop industry, you can't cancel anybody. Which, yeah, yeah they have to be like... The companies will always revive them from the dead. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. It's like... Even if nobody likes them anymore, companies will still, like, pump out different... um, Mountains and mountains of content. Yeah. I don't even know. And I feel like because of stan culture, people taking these individuals and, like, putting them on a pedestal and not being able to, like, ask them to take a step back and apologize... The black people and the people of color in these fan bases, they don't really get a voice on the topic. Yeah. There's not really much you can do with stan culture because it's always yeah. it's always gonna be there. Like people people are always it's like it's it's a vicious cycle. It really is a vicious cycle. And I remember seeing this post where it was like Oh, because so and so has pretty boy privilege, I'm gonna forget about him saying the N word. Which is like, like, good for you. Uh, I don't know good if that's how you. we should treat this, but okay. Yeah. So I think another interesting aspect about this is how cultural appropriation is financially advantageous for labels. Because if you don't, if you don't know, companies invest a lot of money in these young people to try and instill in them the skills that company believes that will make them the most successful the most popular the most famous and most importantly the most money and the integration of black culture into idols performances and comebacks and content in general is advantageous because it attracts an american audience Mm -hmm. as we all know Americans love spending money. Yes, so we really do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so companies and labels gain a lot of money from this 
from appealing to these audiences where they can sympathize with the characteristics of these idols and you know the the black culture that they use because it's similar to them it's what they know in the united states Mm -hmm. and it's so money oriented which is please don't come for me by the way i i say this with like the utmost respect for any professionals out in the field but it's (laughs) (laughs) but like most of the decisions that companies make there's there's so much controversy around every single label out there but they're all so money oriented where it was it's like companies will overwork their um trainees and they'll do anything they can so that they can get enough money to like profit from it and I feel like taking all these like racist caricatures and putting them into their music is for the money. I think it's really ironic that companies enforce this intake and implementation of black culture, but they attack anything that is like like quote too black. Yeah. When it becomes to the point where it's like too much for them where the idols want to have curly hair Mm -hmm. or they have dark skin or they have anything that would make them less than what the beauty standard is for light-skinned people in korea is when they're like no 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 like you can't have that Mm -hmm. and i think that's kind of you can see that in you know the whitewashing of idols and it's just the skin lightening products in asia and that's not even just in Korea. That's all over yeah. Asia in, like, India and... Like, the fair and beauty, like, commercials that come up. Yeah. With, like, the Indian person, the brown Indian person slowly turning white. You'll know. It's not just South Korea or any of the East Asian countries. It's in Asia, you know? Yeah. Idols, it's so hard being an idol under these circumstances, right? They want you to have the like the perfect body, but you can't be too curvy. You need to have like yeah. pin straight hair. You you can't be too pale, otherwise you're like a corpse. But you can't be too dark, otherwise you're unprofessional. You can't wear too much makeup, otherwise you're you're not proper. But you need to wear makeup because you need to look pretty for your audience. Yeah, it's just this ridiculous balance that just it just goes nowhere it goes in endless loops and it's like you can never be enough of one or the other Mm -hmm. or you can never be enough of like the middle you're always too much or too little that rhyme wow did rhyme congratulations (laughs) (laughs) the subtle like colorism and racism in the industry yeah it's not even subtle it's It's really not it's really not the steps that we need to take to get out of it it's gonna take a really long time yeah and the the chances of it completely going away are very 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 little nobody is going to change the industry overnight but what we do know is that we need to start holding idols accountable for their actions and i think what we can do what what can be done to kind of prevent this is if you're having them doing all this training for dancing and singing and rapping why can't they have a class that teaches them this is this is what's acceptable and this is what's 
appropriation. And I think they need to have some sort of individual that screens the stuff that they have before it's put out. So stuff like this can be prevented from even happening. They have a little like dance room in their building where they all huddle up on a rug and they're like, you can't say this. This is racist. <laughs> you can't say this. This is this is homophobic. And I think it just it's a matter of educating them. And I think a lot of the time it's not it's not the idols that themselves that are problematic. Mm-hmm. It's the company. And it's the company that reinforces these stereotypes and these trends that are really prevalent but we really shouldn't be seeing them. Yeah. And they really need to PR teams, they need a new PR team. Yeah. That is what's really they need yeah, to needed. S- PR teams and idol groups need to step up just a little bit. If not for their like yeah. if not for their idols, for their own jobs, bro. Like it's these idols going down are not gonna help you. So you really they really need to like look over what they put out and like be like, Oh, maybe maybe this isn't Maybe that good. maybe this is a little problematic maybe maybe putting out our idol in locks may not be the best idea i think that's probably gonna come with time but it's the it's it's just like this has been happening for so long yeah and it's as long as people continue to support these groups and these companies that do this i don't know if like companies will ever be motivated to even change because if it's making them money why would they change it yeah and that's what's so frustrating about it like people have tried to change the industry you know people have tried to like expose everything online on twitter twitter is such a bloodbath but (laughs) and but but nothing happens because everybody that's trying to call this out is on the other side of the world or like they're not close enough yeah and i think that kind of goes into a lot of the social taboos and social stigmas that are present in south korea but that aren't in america Mm -hmm. so like speaking out against stuff like this that's not considered appropriate in korea yeah which is probably why the progress of this has been hindered so much it's just so depressing to like think you're like oh i like this group and then you look them up and you're like oh they did they did blackface yeah like you listen to some music you'll be like damn this isn't this is an absolute banger and then you'll go onto like their like the internet <laughs> you're like, like oh they're homophobic oh they're homophobic they don't like women wow you know that's so wonderful it's just like we can never have anything at this point dude there's oh i was i remember like there are two artists, uh, Lee Hee and Youngji, that I like. Oh my and god. I listened to some of their songs. And Rado was like, oh, they said the N-word. I was like, oh, what? No, please. I love them so much. I listened to their music on repeat. I was absolutely heartbroken. I was like, no. <laughs> if anything, we need to change because I can't keep, like, I can't. I can't keep having heart attacks yeah, every time. I can't keep having my heart. I hear something new. I can't keep having my heart broken by these idols yes this is not healthy for me it's not healthy for anybody actually and basically to summarize the industry is a really complicated place there's a lot of nuance yeah in what k-pop idols have to 
adapt to and what they have to wear and who they have to be but I feel like the first step into trying to change the industry into a more positive place for everybody I think it's time for these idols and the industry and people in the fan base accountability yeah like I feel like they need to realize that it's you can't keep ignoring it you know like there comes a time where you need to sit back and look at all these idols and be like every like every single one of the people that i listen to has said something racist it's just it's crazy but yeah accountability is really the first step to change and i think until that happens this system is just going to keep doing what it does and appropriating culture Mm mm-hmm that's the end of our episode um also a disclaimer please don't hate on us please don't destroy us online for talking badly about these idols we don't think they're bad people they have just made bad choices yes yes we understand that people (laughs) we understand that people are capable of change please don't people's actions don't determine they don't define who they are yes yes Anyways, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye! Bye!